Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And today's guest, I've got Patrick Anderson. He's a four-time Paralympian, and of that, he's a three-time gold medalist from Sydney, Athens and London and one silver medal from Beijing. He currently plays for the New York Rolling Knicks and not forgetting he's widely regarded as one of the best virtual basketball players in the world. So thanks again Patrick for coming on the show. Oh my pleasure. So the first question I'd like to ask you, um, how did you come about getting into wheelchair basketball in the first place? I grew up playing a lot of sports in um, my small town in Canada, particularly hockey, but I was sort of into all whatever sport was uh, put in front of me. And um, when I was nine, I was hit by a drunk driver and uh, lost both my legs below the knee, uh, which was a little bit, um, you know, that was obviously tough to deal with in a number of ways for me and my family. And but uh, particularly for me, it was uh, really difficult to imagine how I was going to play sports again. That was really the most important thing to me as a nine-year-old boy. Um, and, you know, for that reason, I'm really thankful that I was introduced to wheelchair basketball just a year later when I was 10. Uh, I know other people who you know, acquire disabilities and don't have the opportunity to play anything just because they don't know about it for many, many years. So very lucky to be introduced to uh, the sport when I was young. And I've been playing ever since. And I think it's something you touched upon in other media work that you've done. Obviously, you you had a good coach that taught you uh, to work on different aspects of your shooting and things like that. Could you explain to the listeners how the coach went about doing that to get you to be a better player? Yeah, you know, I can tell the story of my career is just all these fortunate events and unfair advantages I had. Um... (laughs) That had nothing to do with with me, particularly my skill or talent or or anything. One of them was, yeah, I had a, such an incredible first coach. His name is Jeff Penner, and you know there were a number of guys that that taught me a lot in those early years. But Jeff, uh, a few years in, sort of started a, a junior team. You know, when I started playing, I actually played with adults because we didn't even, didn't even have a junior team. So I was you know eleven year old kid going to adult practices and. <laughs> That's sort of another story about, I think, development, uh, my development and others in my generation. We played so much against players much older than us. We kind of had to grow up pretty quick. There weren't as many junior opportunities. I think junior opportunities are great. I'm glad more of them exist now. But uh, that was sort of a harsh reality at the time that maybe in some senses made us better. But I digress. Jeff, when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, he – he was just great at um, challenging me, and he challenged me to use my left hand. He challenged me to shoot with proper form. Um, and, you know, because there's such a wide variety of functional ability and skill level at our practices, uh, he just – I didn't really realize this so much at the time, but in hindsight, um, I'm so thankful. Like, he was really good at reading me and knowing when my attention was wavering, if I was getting bored or maybe getting frustrated – and he would, you know, if he saw that, he would send me off to a side basket and just, you know, throw a challenge at me. Go hit 20 left-handed layups and come back, you know. And um, so, yeah, he was really formative influence early on and really helped establish uh, a fundamental sort of skill set 
And uh, but not only that, he was a really fun guy to be around and a really fun guy on the court. And as a player, he loved um, maybe making the extra pass or, uh, you know, he always used to say if we were up 20 or down 20 in a game, uh, he would say, he pulled, you know, in the huddle, he'd say, you know, for the people. And that was his code word or his code for uh, do something fun, do something, you know, throw behind the back pass or something because the game's over. And your parents over there are nodding off and the fans are falling asleep, you know. So we had this real sense of, like, basketball is a show. A little bit of Globetrotter in him, and I think, uh, for better or worse, some of that rubbed off. Uh, so I just think he was just such a great early influence on me um, to become a better basketball player, but also really enjoy the sport and enjoy sort of sharing the sport with people. Okay. And then I've got one one of the questions from one of my followers, uh, Phil Gaskell asks, how long... Do you train each day? Uh, I'll kind of put that in perspective. What, how, how much do you train now as opposed to when you were with the national team? I'm only able to train a couple days a week at the moment. Um, and unless you consider, you know, shooting hoops in the living room with my one-year-old training. Um, but uh, you know, back, I don't know, say... I mean, my formative training was you going into Sydney. You know, I was at Illinois. We you know, doing the college thing. You know, playing f- five, you know, practicing five days a week, and then playing lots of tournaments. And maybe we got Monday off if we got in late Sunday night from home from a tournament. But we were back at it Tuesday morning at six thirty a.m. and did that for four years. That was really my you know set my barometer for hard work. So coming out of that, you know, I went to Europe and and. This is, I'm talking about, yeah, in my 20s when we were winning gold medals and whatever. I was playing, you know, five days a week, six days a week, and a couple hours a day. But, you know, as I got older, you get older, you learn and to train smarter. And you have to train smarter because sometimes injuries crop up or your body can't quite recover the same way. I've never been very sophisticated in my use of supplements, the legal kind or illegal kind, for that matter. Uh, wait, I've never... <laughs> that sounds like... I've never been very sophisticated with my use of illegal su- uh, supplements. I've never used any of that kind of stuff, really. So uh, I'm kind of a... You know... Uh, maybe there's something, you know, uh, could have been a little bit smarter with diet or that kind of thing as I got older. But in any case... Going into London, though, um, I was really training on my own. This is 2012. I was, you know, still am living in New York, and there's not a lot of guys around, not a lot of Canadian guys. So there's a lot of individual training on my own, and that, you know, there's sort of a limit <laughs> to how many hours you can spend in a gym by yourself. But, um, you know, so I, I just try to pack as much as I could in a couple hours a day. And uh, London, I was really, you know, I was just in there kind of every day. I just had this groove going from about six month out, months out with my shot and just the feel of the game. And so I wanted to, I just didn't want to take any chances with that. So I was just really humming. But also I was sort of experimenting at that time. Well, before then and since with different chair setups and I was trying to get comfortable with sort of a different experimental chair setup. So that was also driving me to the gym as well. Cause I've ever since about 2006 or so, I've sort of been just playing around and experimenting with different wheel sizes and camber and installation just for the fun of it, kind of. But that's that um, has made me sort of, I've had to sort of chase uh, 
sort of that oneness with the chair that I used to sort of take for granted. That's sort of the cost of being experimental, you know, so that factored into it too. But that's one of those things with uh, wheelchair basketball. You want to be at one with the chair, and obviously, in terms of uh, for the listeners that don't know, it's that sense of uh, you want to be able to know if you turn one direction and say, for example, you faint one way, then go the other. You want the chair to be responsive to that second movement and not kind of held you back. So that's probably something you touch upon there, isn't it, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. Specifically, what changed for me in London was I, I, uh, I've always used straps around my knees, the front of my knees, uh, to push me back sort of north-south in the chair and then east-west. So I have, you know, side guards and then sort of up and down straps. So in all sort of planes, I'm really cinched into the chair. Uh, and I think I was lucky to sort of had help, having helped develop, I was lucky to have had help developing that strapping system when I was pretty young and I came along at a time in the mid nineties when, you know, for me, the influences were guys like Joey Johnson and Troy Sachs at the university of Whitewater playing for Frogley who were like four or fives who were, um, just then really starting to strap into their chairs and, and therefore, you know, tilting and, uh, hopping their chairs. And I came along sort of a couple summers and trained with some of those guys and saw what they're doing as a, you know, 16, 17 year old. And I was able to incorporate that kind of thinking and training into my game at a young age. Like I need to, I need to figure out my strapping installation, which was a little bit more of a challenge for me as a double amp versus these guys. Joey has two legs, Troy has one leg. So they just, you know, foot plate and away they go. But for me, I had to figure out that knee strap thing. But what I did along with these knee pads that I still use, um, once I got that dialed in, that really helped me kind of move my chair. And obviously, I have an advantage as a double amputee. I don't have that extra weight on the front. So I can spin and accelerate quicker um, than somebody who has maybe a leg or, or both legs. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's been uh, – that was a real sort of uh, another one of those things that was not – Anything I did, I just kind of came along at the right time to absorb some of those innovations at, uh, at a young, early point in my career. Okay, that's quite interesting that you bring up. Uh, and the next question I've got from Quick Chris Wilson is, do you follow a particular training plan? If so, can you let them have it? Let them have it. <laughs> uh no, I've, this is about training, huh? This podcast, uh, it's going to keep coming back to this. Um, <laughs> I'm never very good at these kind of questions. Uh, I guess the answer would be no. I mean, what do you mean by a training plan? Like some kind of guru or something? Um, I don't know. Because I, how I read into it, and I've seen that you've done obviously a few um, YouTube videos on... Uh, like training tips, uh, to that would be how I would read the question into it. What yeah. training tips would you possibly give? And obviously, sure. I would probably say uh, to save you having to explain what tips it is, it's probably best to probably go to your YouTube channel for that, wouldn't it? To to a certain extent. Well, sure, but I guess I could touch on a few things. Um, you know, the one thing I haven't been great at, at least consistently over my career, is, is uh, strength training. I'm very good at 
sort of aerobic and anaerobic training, that kind of thing, whether it's in my chair or on an upper body ergometer, I'm just good at pushing myself when it comes to that. With uh, lifting, strength and conditioning, or strength training, uh, that's more of a discipline that I struggle with on and and off, um, and I probably paid a penalty for that over the years. So that's my weak spot, Um, but I I get it done. Uh, In terms of, uh, I'll just say going into London, there were a few things that were sort of, um, that I was mindful of. I think when it comes to like skill development, especially say shooting, everyone wants to shoot well. You know, I had a lot of years, I guess, of uh, a lot of shooting reps. Um, but I, I just, I wouldn't go into the gym. I'll put it this way: I took some time off. I actually, at that time, I, I thought I was retired before London. Came back. I didn't have, um, hadn't been playing much basketball, so I spent a lot of time just putting up a lot of reps. You know, in one spot grooving the shot, 20 shots, 30 shots, that kind of thing, really grooving my form and trying to get a feel back. But as soon as I felt like I had that foundation down, I really switched into a mode where I was, <clears throat> it was much more dynamic. Take one shot from that spot, move to a different spot, take a shot from there, go to the three-point line, take a shot, go take a layup. And you see, I think one of the drills on one of my YouTube videos sort of shows, that's just something that I came up with um, because I wanted to be more game-like. And that's really how I approached training going into London. I think that really helped me. Um, I was also working out with a guy here in New York who was, at the time, like a last cut for the New York Knicks. Really, most incredible shooter I've ever seen in person. This guy is amazing. Brian Kortwitz is his name. I botched his last name, so I'm not exactly sure how to say it. But uh, unreal. He was the uh, top scorer in the uh, Rucker Park League. The only one, <laughs> he told me the the only white leading scorer in the history of the Rucker, which is like a famous outdoor uh, basketball court in Harlem here in New York. Anyway, I forget what his nickname. He had a cool nickname too. They have the guy with the, with the MC who's like, you know, talking trash and everything and kind of doing play-by-play, kind of just talking trash with people. Uh, it was a really cool environment. I went to see him play and just the most phenomenal shooter ever. And uh, so I trained with him a little bit and just played shooting games with him. <laughs> And lost every single time. But uh, that was another thing that uh, I really remember at the time was between him and Dave Durapo. I don't know if that name means anything to you, but he was a long, long time member of the Canadian national team and the most pure shooter in a wheelchair I think I've ever seen. And uh, you just, to beat Dave in a shooting drill was just an accomplishment, you know. So I would seek him out and try to shoot against him, you know, and that same thing with Brian, even though he beat me every single time, like I said. Um, and also just tra- uh, training with an able-bodied player, uh, it's just everything happens faster. They just, they're just they taller, so they get rebounds faster, so the ball comes back to you quicker. Um, and uh, not so not only his skill, but his just his functional ability as an able-bodied person just sort of pushed push me to train a little bit faster mentally and physically. Um, so that's a couple, couple things, right? Yeah, that's, that's well. It's, it's, it's in the, the you bring into different elements of of uh, what what your 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 particular training plans, how, how you brought it about. So, it, well, I'd say you're probably sat, satisfied. Maybe maybe you would like to know a little bit in depth. But the, like I said, in terms of actually seeing it, it's probably better to go to your YouTube channel so you can see it firsthand for yourself. Yeah, there's a few drills in there. Yeah, I'm just talking about sort of general concepts there are some more specific things on that youtube channel um but uh yeah learning how to train is uh 
the earlier you learn how to do that in your career, the better off you are. So in the sense, I think talking about general principles is maybe more helpful for someone. Like, oh, okay, because a lot of my career and a lot of, for a wheelchair basketball player, and unless you're in a college town, I mean, you need, over here anyway, <clears throat> well, unless you're with a club that practices a lot or you're in a college town or certain hubs around the country, you're probably by yourself or you're with one or two other people. You have to be creative. And the chances that there's a really experienced wheelchair basketball coach, uh, is pretty are pretty slim too. So, my experience and the experience I see others having is they have to be able to train on their own or learn how to push themselves in the gym. So to talk about sort of general principles, I think it's good because you take those principles and then go get creative, given where you are in your skill development, and uh, and go apply them in your own way, kind of thing. But yeah, there are specific drills out there if you want to check that out. That's probably a good point you raised in terms of. Uh, most players have to train by themselves, so they have to bring up, learn early doors, having that aspect of self-discipline. Or I want to get to, say for example, some players might have aspirations in the Paralympics. Well, you have to have that self-discipline to do that training, because if you want to get there, you, you've got to put in the hard work. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously Olympians... Per- Able-bodied basketball players are putting in the hard work too, but I just think it's easier for them to plug into a training program or a coach or a training facility or go down to the Y and play pickup or at the park and play pickup. or just so many opportunities to play basketball and get better, whereas for us, that's uh, harder. There's less of us where it's more spread out. Yeah. So you kind of have to take ownership of your training. Uh, or you can. Or if you do, you'll benefit. But I mean, for me, that's, again, I was... As a teenager before I went to Illinois, I was pretty good, not in a systematic way, but I loved being in the backyard shooting hoops and pretending I was Michael Jordan or Shaq or somebody, and I was always imagining I was some NBA player, and uh, so I kind of got, I, I just, I liked practice, you know, I liked practicing by myself, so I had the willingness, but not necessarily the strategy, I didn't really know what I was doing, how to practice, and then I went to Illinois for four years, and Mike Frogley told me what to do every day, and that was good too to have someone just tell you do it. Don't ask why, just do it. And I did generally didn't ask why, unless I was particularly angry or, or tired or something. I just wanted to be uh, ornery. But, you know, and then after I left my early 20s, that's when I kind of had to sort of on my own and had to start figuring it out for myself. But you can learn earlier. So the next question I've got from Ryan Smart, he asks, are you looking to go into coaching now? I don't have a huge desire to coach. Uh, if you think of coaching as you know, being on the sidelines and game coaching, I don't know. Game coaching just doesn't interest me that much at this point. But I really do like being in the gym with players and doing like individual skill development or uh, team skill development or uh, getting um, you know been involved with sort of new uh, rec leagues and uh, house leagues, getting new players involved into the game grassroots level stuff i enjoy all that so and i feel like that's a bit of a responsibility to be involved or be supporting that in some way shape or form so, you, so that's so where it would start for me if it were going anywhere but so you we'll see. see so you see yourself more as a mentor type mentoring type person as opposed to more so a out and out coach uh, I, I just suppose that's more where my strengths may lie, and that's what I enjoy doing more. 
And then it all has to do with the fact that I like playing still. So I'd rather be in my ball chair with a group of guys. And I've done a bit of this with the Canadian national team over the last few years, going to the academy and, and working out with some of the young players. And I'm learning from them. They're learning from me. We're just sort of workshopping new drills and um, just different ways of training. Because for them, they're doing a lot of the same things all the time. Any kind of new, any kind of new uh, approaches to their skill development or whatever, I think are welcome. And uh, so that's fun. But but we'll see. Maybe at some point the light will the light will go on, and I'll suddenly be intrigued by coaching. But I've always been a pretty good practice player in terms of like, let's go guys. And like, let's do this drill or that. So I just, that's always kind of been my MO uh, if in the absence of a, a coach running practice. So that's just maybe what I'm more comfortable with. And I was never the brains behind the operation ever for sure. You know, the guys that I consider more natural, like game coaches like Joey Johnson or Richard Peter or Jamie Borsoff. We had all these guys with like PhDs in wheelchair basketball. And I was felt like kind of the dumb guy and, you know, just had to pretend I was smart enough to be there. But Guys who just kind of could read a game, be like, you know what, they're doing this, we should do that, you know, uh, as well as probably, obviously, the coach. But we just had such a high IQ, and uh, those are the guys who need to be head coaches, you know. <laughs> so, and Joey has got, you know, Joey's coaching uh, with GB in Rio as assistant coach, and so obviously they noticed, tried to tap that potential, and did tap that potential from him. Well, it's like you say, if, if you've got that skill set, to become a coach, you're in the best position to do that. Whereas you're, you feel that you're not comfortable in that role, you could maybe look at it from more of a mentoring role and giving back, to, like as you say, to the up and coming players that are coming through and giving you your expertise that you've learned along the way to help with them with their development. Yeah, I suppose. Not, but I mean, if there was a team and wherever I was living and needed a coach, I wouldn't be opposed to you know coaching and trying to learn how to do it as best as I could. You know, I wouldn't let like a lack of under you know skill or even uh, inclination hold hold me back from doing what you know feeling a need if I felt like I could do it. Um, but what was I going to say? But yeah, I just. I think because I've always liked, enjoyed training and, and often not always been the only guy or the guy, but I, you know, between moments and practice, I like to go find a hoop and like trying to knock out 10 left-handed layups or hit five threes or something. Just that little, that skill work I really enjoy. And so if I can if I can share that just sort of approach with, with players, I feel like that's maybe more valuable than me trying to be on the bench, you know, coaching in that way. Yeah, so that, in other words, it's just different ways of, of coaching slash mentoring, whatever you want to call it, and sort of contributing to the next generation. And uh, just you know, as I got other stuff in life going on, I'm trying to figure out how to how to help, you know, how to give back. Okay, well, that's what's well, an interesting point what you bring up. Uh, and the next question I've got from Ben Lightowler is uh, as to whether you do any particular exercises or use any training methods to help yourself help. To prevent injuries. Oh well. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, the strength training would be my uh, sort of probably weakest point when it comes to training. But 
certainly, you know, like any, uh, right from the very beginning at Illinois, I was definitely um, instructed to take care of my, you know, shoulders and and try to avoid, uh, just try to do exercises on uh, uh, external rotation and anything that's going the opposite direction of, of your push, uh, just to keep your shoulders uh, and all your musculature balanced as much as possible, which is kind of a fighting and losing battle because anyone in a wheelchair is going to kind of end up, unless they na- have naturally great posture, going to end up sort of shoulders sort of rolling forward and maybe ha- fight, you know, bad posture and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that's always just been in my mind for the last 20, 25 years to make sure I'm rowing and doing pull-ups and doing external rotators. And that that's sort of the, um, you know, I just try to hit that as often in different ways as I can. Um, and of course, stretching a lot. <laughs> Pretty groundbreaking stuff, right? Well, it's it's probably a lot of people forget about stretching because oh, I've done all the hard work. I don't want to spend the extra five to ten minutes doing this. It, it'll be all right. But then, obviously, the next day, as a result, uh, you're DOMs are going to be that much worse because you've not re-lengthened the muscle back to its yeah. normal length. Yeah, and as you get older, it accumulates over time. You you know you neglect to stretch when you're younger. That's one thing. You neglect to stretch when you're older, and you start to really notice like a, you know your range of motion suffering for it, and that can lead to all kinds of problems. Performance, uh, you know, inhibit performance. It could also lead to injury. So. All you old folks like me out there, don't forget. Uh, and then the next question I've got from Christian Boothby asks, what's the best way to increase power in your shooting without losing form? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. That's something that I, I wonder sometimes, especially with the new three-point line. I'm sort of semi-comfortable with, I say new, it's been since 2010 that they've used the longer FIBA three-point line, but, um, but, uh, I'm a little bit lucky, you know, I have long arms and a long trunk, and I'm able to generate a lot of power just from the length of my levers or whatever, without being the strongest guy in the room ever, um, and I, you know, I've probably, well, not probably, I have, you know, used the heavy ball all before, but I kind of figured out or was told that that's probably not a good idea and never really used it much. So, um, I don't know. I guess that's my, my way of saying it. I'm not sure other than when I, the chair I said I was sort of struggling with in London, part of the thing that, in London I took significantly less threes. I just wasn't comfortable with the line. It partly had to do with my installation. I was really rigid. I was using a rigid front Instead of those straps I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. I used like an aluminum plate, and I also had an aluminum back. Uh, and so, in theory, I thought I'd just be that much uh, better able to transfer my body movements into my chair, you know. But it sort of worked the opposite way because there uh, there was no, no noise in the system, so it was kind of uh, a little jittery feeling. And also, my knees weren't independent anymore, so uh, those little Sometimes I'd extend one knee and not the other. I didn't realize this, but that's what I was doing with my straps. Where with the foot plate, it wasn't able, it wasn't able to do that. Uh, they weren't able to function independently. And I think the combination of that hard back and hard front didn't allow me to extend through my back, and I lost some like range of my shot. I 
because I could simply just jump in a chair with straps and ha- and just get two or three well comfort two or three extra feet on my shot uh, comfortably anyway and uh, so there's something about anyway the being really sort of uh, my back being extended and being uh, not not having a little bit of play in my trunk so all that to say I think you tr- taught me that your trunk really does help generate power which is tough luck I guess if you're class one but if you're a more a midpointer and upper you know, higher point player, maybe look at guys shooting technique and see what really take a look at their trunk and see what role that's playing in generating range. So it might be that more than doing, you know, benching more or something like that. Although I'm sure that helps. And my David Ng, who's like a very disciplined guy when it comes to lifting, very, he was very strong and his game's really based on power. Uh, he always felt like when he's in the strength phase of training, that's when his shooting was at the worst. So he made sure that, you know, if he was, he wouldn't need to be like doing hypertrophy phases, but, uh, you know, if he was doing speed, if he's more in a speed phase or a power phase, um, or a maintenance phase, that was all fine. But if he's in a strength phase, you know, like high weight, low reps, you know, trying to increase his strength, that's when his shooting was at the worst. So he'd make sure he would avoid those phases. Um, around competition time, you know, make sure he cycled it or scheduled it right so that he wasn't struggling with that when a big tournament was coming up or whatever. That's quite interesting, to, the aspect of um, uh, macrocy- micro-cy- macrocycling the training to fit the performance element of things. And the next yeah. question he, he asks, it's, it's a little bit on the same lines, what is the best way to increase that explosive first push? Uh, well, I think it's all those things. It's building strength and then translating into power and speed. I think my speed, I'm probably, if you looked at me, you'd think, oh, I have quick hands, I'm like hand speed, maybe less so now as I slow down a little bit with age, but... Uh, but it really is a combination of hand speed and power. I think power is, uh, you know, it's generated in the weight room, but also through technique. I had an interesting sort of experience when I played in Australia and trained with some guys over there. And they had this one drill where they just went to the baseline and took one powerful push and then rolled to, I don't know what it was, a three-point line, turned around and one push back, and they did the same thing with two pushes. And all my training would be like, as soon as you said go, Hand, get your hands going as fast as possible. And I think what they were doing both, uh, this was sort of, you know, strength, power training, but also maybe more skill training as they were just teaching them and training to get the most out of that first push um, technique-wise, so like transferring as much as that of that power into that first push because that's all you got and you have to coast the rest of the way if you follow what I'm saying, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a corrective for me because I was always about just – get those hands moving as fast as possible kind of thing, rather than thinking about how to transfer as much power to each push as possible. The foundation of my sort of chair skills sort of power training has always been, still is, like we would call chair skills, which is just towing somebody in all manner of ways. Now, that strength and conditioning people tell me that's not ideal, you know, depending on how much the person behind you weighs, it's too much resistance. Like a sprinter wouldn't use that much resistance. They would use a band, like... If I have a guy who's like 150 pounds behind me, they might say, you actually want, say, 30 pounds of resistance. You definitely want resistance training, but not that much resistance. But 
it happens to be a convenient way to train. If you're in the gym with somebody, a group of people, go grab somebody. They hold on your back bar and you do power starts and stops and half court toe and all these kind of ways of, of uh, getting around the gym. And uh, but you know when we this is I guess while I've done the same exercises all my career, I've sort of learned how to do it smarter. So when we were in college, we would work our way through. The, course of the year up to like nine minutes uh stations so we would do that kind of thing for nine minutes so what that meant was like <laughs> what it ended up being is the first minute you're working power and the next eight minutes you're just slogging your way through and that's no way to train power i'm no expert but i know that so and you know um i think everybody's learned those are sort of rudimentary days with chair skills at least around in my circles so we've learned to uh work in more rest so that every time you step to the line you have some you know you're actually working with your power pushes and not just slogging through like um the grind of 10 minutes you know that that's not getting you any faster um so it's the right amount of uh rest which is tough to tell young people sometimes but uh or anybody who's like really driven to train hard that you just got to wait another minute because that's when you're going to be ready for that next rep you know that's definitely a good point in, in terms of uh, like you say, a lot of people don't take account of the importance of rest. Right. And coaches, you know, coaches want to establish a culture of hard work, and that's one of the ways that they do it. Um, so it's a challenge for coaches to be able to instill hard work in the players, but also be smart about how they're training. You know, I think that's a real, not an easy challenge to meet, but an important one. And the next question I've got from Colin Illick asks, uh, what does your diet consist of and do you happen to use any supplements? It's something you brought up earlier that you, you, you don't, you didn't. I, I mean, I, aside from a bit of protein powder now and then for a shake, no, I don't use any kind of supplements. And my diet is, is just kind of normal these days. And, uh, I've, you know, done some, yeah, it's not particularly sophisticated, but I'm not really in a huge training phase at the moment. So, uh, you know, living in, uh, I just try to eat a balanced meal, and I'm raising a son now, and I want him to eat well, so uh, just make sure the plate's balanced, and I, I'm not too much on, uh, you know, over, overthinking that too much. Avoid the, you know, moderation on the, uh, on the stuff that, uh, on the beer and, cheese and stuff that uh, uh, are more uh, maybe you want to build you would want to build your diet on and that's all I got for you on that topic okay and then one a little bit different now uh, Neil Pratt asks are you still writing songs <laughs> well yes and no uh, my wife is more the prolific songwriter in terms of quantity and quality um, so she's always writing songs. I kind of do every now and then. So yeah. And we're also recording an album, a full length album at the moment. So we're more in that phase as opposed to writing new songs right now, but appreciate the question and, you know, a little plug, check out the layaways if you have a moment and, uh, yeah, we should, we're putting out a video soon and, uh, we have a single that's done and I'm not sure when that's going to come out, but, uh, we'll have a new album out next year sometime. Okay, and the final question I've got from Anna Jackson, she asked, if you could give new players one bit of advice, what would it be? Uh, I think something I touched on earlier, it's just, you know, learn how to have fun by yourself in the gym. 
not that you always have to train by yourself, but I just guarantee everyone in you know wheelchair basketball is going to end up in a gym by themselves and thinking, you know, where is everybody? How, you know, and uh, I don't want to do this by myself, you know, just because as I mentioned, there's just um, compared to able bodied basketball and able bodied sports, there's just not as many people out there. So you're going to find yourself in a gym by yourself or on a basketball court outside in your backyard or whatever. And you just got to kind of like, I don't know if there's something you can learn, but to the extent that it maybe you learn, you know, something that you can learn, just learn how to push yourself, have fun with it, you know, um, be hit. Like I keep talking about left-handed layups. Maybe that was such a big thing for me or on my mind recently, but you know, if you hit 10 in a row, try to hit 12 in a row and make a game of it and reward yourself. And I don't know, just whatever, whatever it takes for you to have fun by yourself in a gym, working on your game. Um, that's going to help you improve and sustain. I think, cause if you enjoy practice, then you'll get better. Um, it's hard to get, it's hard to get better if, if it's practice is always a slog. Um, and we just have the extra challenge of sometimes having to push ourselves. Um, so yeah, learn how to enjoy training, <laughs> or you know, find someone fun to train with. Someone you enjoy being around it doesn't have to be the best player. It's just someone you enjoy being in the gym with that makes training fun. Um, and uh, yeah. So I think we'll wrap it up there, Patrick. So thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to answer those questions. Hey, my pleasure. And if anybody wanted to get in contact with you to ask, maybe. Uh, a few more questions what would be the best way for them to do that in terms of social media I guess I could leave a comment on my uh, YouTube channel or just find me on Twitter I think I'm Anderson Anderson Patrick and just shoot me a message there or something okay so once again Patrick thanks again for coming on the show you bet all the best if you wanted some bonus content, I have now set up a Facebook group where you can interact with both the guests and I. The name of this so-called group is Mindset Game, so why not come over and check it out for yourself? And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short written review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.